Good morning, everyone. It's good to be here. It's good to see you. And it's good to know that one whom we can't see with our eyes or physical eyes is here with us also. In the uh, Gospels, we read about Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee, and he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew, Peter's brother, and they were casting a net into the sea. <clears throat> and Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I'll make you think of men. And they immediately left their nets and followed him. A beginning for Peter and Andrew, his brother. Paul, as he was on that road toward Damascus, full of vicious thoughts against Christ and against Christians, suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. And he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goat. And so Paul, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And then Jesus said to him to get up and go into the city, into Damascus, and you'll be told what you must do. So there was a beginning. Paul answering uh, the call of Jesus, it would sure be interesting to know what all went through his mind in those few moments. And did he hesitate while he was trembling and astonished? Was he, how much was he processing there and how quickly? Lord, what do you want me to do? A beginning. And I didn't go and reference places for, about Peter, but I thought about Paul's life, and we see glimpses of Paul's life like we did in today's lesson. And one place he writes to Timothy, the first chapter of Second Timothy, Paul says, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience, which gives us a glimpse of Paul in his life from that beginning. That's how he lived, was a pure conscience. There was a daily, present moment in which he was living with a pure conscience. I don't think Paul would say, I was perfect all the time. I think Paul would say that my conscience is clear because he knew what he needed to do to take care of that. And he did. He was consistent in how he lived. I serve 
Jesus that Jesus who called me when I was on the way to Damascus, and I'm serving him with a pure conscience. Today we saw in uh, chapter 4, and I'm reading from the New King James, um, in verses 6 through 8, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. There's a little, uh, there's a little uh, uncertainty about the text or what, just how he's referring to that there. The, uh, the King James says, For I am now ready to be, like I am about to be, is the way some translations say But others say that I am already being poured out. And maybe there's a combination. There probably is a combination. There is a more complete being poured out to the very finished pouring as Delvin brought out of his life. But there's a, again a present tense there. The time of my departure is at hand. I fought a good fight. I finished the race. I've kept up the faith. I've kept the faith. And finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. So there's something in the future. So there was a beginning, there was a present, continuing life, and there is something in the future to uh, look forward to. And I thought I would begin here with a, uh, by introducing to you uh, three basic verb tenses, past, present, and future. There, there are more, but we'll keep it simple here. Uh, I can keep simple on some things. So first is the past tense. Jack jumped. Sometime before this moment, Jack jumped. It may have been years ago, it may have been weeks ago, it may have been minutes ago, but sometime before now, Jack jumped. Before this present time. And that's the past tense. There is a present tense. Jack jumped. So at this moment, Jack is jumping. Maybe on a couch. Maybe on a trampoline or just hopping from one foot to another, but it's happening even as we speak. Jack is jumping. That is the present tense. It's what's happening now. And then there is a future tense. Jack will jump. In time to come, Jack will become active and will jump. It's not happening in the here and now, but it is something we're expecting in the future. It may be in the near future, it may be in the far future, but it's future. And Jack may be a seven-year-old boy that uh, is poised to jump, or an infant in a cradle who won't jump for some time. But knowing the nature of boys, uh, we expect jumping to happen. Not yet. It's future. That's 
And what I'd like for us to think about is that salvation involves these senses, past, present, and future. That Christian, the Christian life involves past, present, and future. So, first about the past, Jack Jones. Now, there are past events that are absolutely critical to our salvation. Christ died. Christ was buried. Christ rose again. The resurrection. Christ ascended. All of those are past events that are very critical to our salvation. There's a past event in our life as a Christian that is also critical to salvation. I accepted Christ. I did what Peter did. I said, yes, I'll follow you. I did something like Paul did. I said, what do you want me to do? There was a beginning. I accepted Christ's call, His offer to salvation. I started out and to be honest, there were some twists and turns in my pilgrimage, but there was a start, and I am where I am now. I trusted in His work back there. I surrendered to His Lordship. I decided that I would follow Jesus, and Christ accepted me. My sins were forgiven. I was justified. My guilt was removed. I was no longer under condemnation. I was no longer perishing spiritually. I was a new creation. A lot of work left to do, but there was a start. There was a regeneration, a change. Uh, the Spirit moved into my heart, and there's spiritual life within. So I entered at some past point a position of right standing with God. I was saved. I was in a saved uh, state, if you could say it that way. It's not kind of cold, doesn't it? It's not like a frozen, frozen or something. But I was saved. And I was his child. I became one of the redeemed. That's, that's the past tense. And that is important. What Christ accomplished is important. And what I decided is crucial also. For some Christians, that's where it begins and that's where it stops. There was a decision made. Uh, salvation is forever settled in heaven, and no man shall pluck them out of the Father's hand. It's what some people believe uh, when they're saved. But there is, we believe there is more to salvation, more to the Christian life than the past tense, than past events. There's also a present tense. Salvation is a state of being saved, but it's also a process. It's very much a process also. 
We could say it this way. If the process stops, that the state is lost. The state of being saved or the position of being saved is lost. And that's not to describe a, us as being in a precarious spot, just at great risk of sliding off into, into uh, the dark and being lost. But that people can turn away from God and lose their salvation. So, I want to talk about the present tense. Jack jumped a little bit. The present tense of salvation. In Acts 2, there's a couple of verses that uh, impress us with that some more modern translations bring it out more clearly than the King James. But it says this way in Acts 2, verses 46 and 47, 46 describing what they were doing, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Notice how it says that there. Those being added to the church, those who were being saved. So a process began and was ongoing. They were being saved. In First uh, Corinthians chapter one and verse eighteen. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Who are being saved. A process. And that doesn't mean, uh, let's be clear on this, that it doesn't mean that uh, we're in, we are being saved like we're doing something or something is being done to us. And when the process is finished, then finally we are safe. No, we're safe now. It is an ongoing work of God, of His mercy and grace and power to keep us and grow us a process of being saved. Like a living plant, it's alive. There are things happening if that process stops. If the water stops going to the plant, if the nutrients stop going to the plant, the plant dies. There's an abiding in Him. Without me, you can do nothing. But with me, you can bear much fruit. There's a process. There's nutrition. There's moisture. Hydration. Life that is being given and growing within us. It's a process. If that's cut off, if we're cut off from the branch or the, the vine, we die. There is a present process of being saved. A number of other translations do the same thing. So, what are some things that are happening in the here and now in this being saved? 
Well, there is an ongoing relationship with Christ. In John 14, At that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. I already referred to John 15, Abide in me, and I in you. Abide, continuing, ongoing, abiding in Jesus, and Jesus in us. In John 17, in Jesus' high priestly prayer, as it's often called, verses 21 and 22, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me, and the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. Uh, we in the Father, the Father in us. In Ephesians 3.17, that Christ may dwell in your heart. Those are just a few examples of many in the Scripture describing a spiritual union with Christ, an ongoing communion with Christ through His Spirit. So that's a present ongoing uh, relationship with Jesus. And there is cleansing from sin that is ongoing. First John uh, 1, let's see, verse 7, First John 1, beginning at verse 7, but if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one, with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Present tense, ongoing, continual action. Our sins were forgiven when we accepted Christ. All guilt was removed. If you remember that day, that's one thing that you remember. The joy and the peace of sins forgiven and guilt removed. But I have not lived perfectly since then. And he is pointing out here in First John that people don't live perfectly. In fact, he says, if we say uh, that we have not sinned, we lie, he says in that chapter. So we don't live perfectly in the present, even with our best intentions. We fail. We fall short. We are convicted. We confess that as the Spirit convicts us, that as we understand where we fell short, sometimes we instantly know we really blundered. That was sinful. But we confess what we know. And uh, there are shortcomings that we aren't even aware of. 
But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And I believe those sins that we don't even know uh, because we're so, uh, we just don't have the insight and perception. Uh, areas that we are less, are less than the holiness of God, that those, those shortcomings are covered by the blood of Jesus. There is a present, ongoing work of cleansing in a Christian, in a Christian's life. Now, the sin that he's referring to here is an, an ongoing practice of sin. John says that saints don't continue living in habitual sin. They struggle against sin. They may fall. They may fall numbers of times, and uh, they struggle against that. They confess. They God forgives, and that uh, you know the, we heard about that in Romans seven, didn't we? God wants us to get into Romans 8 and do better. But there is not a just giving up and pursuing and turning our back on God and His holy call and pursuing sin habitually. So that's another thing that's happening in the present right now in our lives. Another is something that God is doing, that Christ is doing, is intercession. My little children, these things are right to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And in Romans 8, verse 34, who is he that condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. So, Jesus is interceding for us a present and ongoing uh, part of our salvation, part of our being saved, is Christ's uh, work of intercession. And then there is the Spirit's work in our hearts that is ongoing. Uh, we mentioned conviction. The sweet Spirit of God can be grieved. He is grieved from the sin. And the Spirit of God um, convicts. He brings us into all truth. He convicts us of sin and shortcomings where we fail to understand and follow the will of God. And He is working on our, our uh, self, our character, to make us, mold us into something that reflects more fully the character of Jesus Christ. The beautiful character of Jesus Christ. And we read in Galatians about the fruit of the Spirit. And all of those things, all of those aspects of the fruit of the Spirit 
were seeing Jesus in his everyday life as he walked through Galilee and and, and Israel and uh, Judea and ministered to people and related to people, becoming more Christ-like. That also is uh, becoming more holy. And if we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh to uh, cave in to sinful desires. And then there is protection. The Lord is faithful, 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 3, who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. And we're to pray in the Lord's prayer, deliver us from evil, deliver us from the evil one. And that's an ongoing process. If that would stop, if any of God's heart would stop, we're stopped. But there is a vigilant and loving Heavenly Father who is at this moment watching over each soul in this place and caring for and guarding each soul in this place. We have to do our part to um, follow. Those are a few things that we've, we've talked about. Completely on the other side, we don't have time to go into this, really, I don't think. But um, there are those who don't know God and resist God and are going against God. And something is happening there, too, across that. In 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the message of the cross, we noticed this earlier, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. At present tense, it's an ongoing process. They are perishing. And, yeah, there'll be others. Second uh, Thessalonians 2 and verse 10 in the English Standard Version, version says, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth. Those who live in death, those who feed on the deadly things of the world, admire deadly things, pursue poisonous things, false philosophies and beliefs, the idolatry of self, and the world, and the flesh, anti-God, anti-Christ, the longer they live in death and pursue death, the further they are from God. And in Thessalonians, it describes the wicked one as promoting the lie that is already at work and working, present tense, in the unbelievers. And in the end, there is judgment and eternal death for them. There's also a future tense, Jack will jump. There's a future tense to salvation in the Christian life. Beloved, now are we children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. So Christ was offered once 
to bear the sins of many, Hebrews 9, 28. To those who eagerly wait for Him, He will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. So there are great things to look forward to. So we've looked at the past and we've looked at the present and just touched on the future. And, uh, you know, I think about a song that we all know. You know that song, um, I Decided to Follow Jesus? I, I decided. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided. That's an important piece of it right there. I have decided. I have decided. It's important that that have is included. Uh, it helps the meter of the song. If we gave Becky the floor, she could tell us all about that. She's a poet. But it, it helps the meter of the song for one thing, but uh, that's not the most important thing about that. It changes the tense from the past tense to the present perfect tense, the way I understand grammar. So, just for a little advanced grammar study. I decided is the past tense. It's something that happened uh, in the past. But if the, and, and that's good. That's good to hear that somebody decided to follow Jesus. But it raises a question, doesn't it? What about, what about now? What about now? It leaves just a little uncertainty when somebody says, I had decided to follow Jesus. Doesn't it? I had decided is the past perfect tense. And that means, okay, I think I've got ahead of myself just a little. It means that something happened in the past and then stopped. I had decided. And so. I don't know how long this person followed, but sometimes he stopped. And now he's not. I have decided. But this song says, I have decided that the present perfect, which means that sometime in the past, I decided to follow Jesus and that I have continued to follow Jesus up till this very present moment, I am still. I am still following Jesus. Paul encouraged people to continue with the Lord. You'll find numbers of places in his epistles, and in Acts, he encouraged the people in Antioch. Uh, he encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. Keep it a present perfect tense. Uh, when Paul and his company reached Derby, he encouraged them, strengthening uh, and other and other places where they stopped, uh, encouraging the disciples. 
strengthening the souls of disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and say, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. Let's sing that song. I don't know the key, but let's sing it in the present perfect text. Okay? Uh, I have decided to follow Jesus, the world behind me, the cross before me, Though none go with me, still I will follow. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me. No turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me. First glance, this is such a simple, such a simple song with such an uncomplicated message. It could be taken to be written for children, actually. It was made, uh, I learned in the last couple of weeks, a little more behind this song. And it adds some meaning to it when you know this story. It adds a lot of depth to what, what is said here in this simple song. It was made popular in the U.S. in the 50s, I think, during the Billy Graham crusade. But the song actually came from India. During the late 1800s, there was a great revival in India. And entire provinces that had been very close to missionaries and the gospel were being evangelized, was opening up. And hundreds of missionaries were going to uh, northern India. And the north of India had been uh, firmly in the grip of some very oppressive forms of Hinduism where the caste system was uh, deeply entrenched, there were headhunters, and they were very hostile to the gospel and toward foreigners. And dozens and dozens of missionaries were martyred. But uh, despite of this opposition and the martyrdom, there were strong inroads being made into this into this previously off limits area. In the 1880s, there was a particularly brutal village in the province of Assam. And there was a husband and a wife who became Christians, and I'm not sure about their children, 
they had two children. I don't know if they were young or I don't know if they were, you know, Christians also or just young, innocent. But uh, the husband and wife at least professed faith in Jesus Christ to the great dismay of the villagers. And the uh, leaders of the village decided to make an example out of the father. And they took him and his wife and children, two children, I guess outside the village somewhere, and they demanded that the father recant, that he give up this faith in Jesus or they would kill his children. And his wife, witnesses to what happened later told the missionary about it, and they said this, that when the father was asked to give up his faith or watch his children be murdered, he said, I have decided to follow Jesus. There is no turning back. They killed his children. They shot him with arrows. And he said, the world can be behind me, but the cross is still before me. And they killed his wife. And they kept begging him or beseeching him or ordering him, I don't know how, to stop, uh, to give up this religion. They killed his wife, and he said, Though no one is here to go with me, still I will follow Jesus. And then they killed him. Sometime later, when the missionary returned to the village, he found that a revival, a revival had broken out. And those that had murdered that Christian husband and his wife and children had all become Christians. The missionaries shared this story with the well-known Indian evangelist, Sadie Singh. And the story was already uh, of this martyrdom in Assam. Uh, it was widely known. It was an astonishing story and was widely known among Indians, believers. Many of the Indian believers knew about it. And, and this uh, Sadducee took the martyr's words that I read to you, and he put them to music and into a song. This song that we... that we just sang. I'm not sure whether the tune that he used is the one that we sang, because it said that he used, he put it into a traditional Indian music. So it was one of the first, uh, this, this article that I adapted, uh, pulled this information from, said it was one of the first uniquely Indian hymns. And it is, uh, Became popular among Indian churches and they sung off from there today. And then some American missionaries brought, them, brought it to the U.S. 
And you know, we hear that song, and it can be taken, it can be understood to be describing a brand new, serious decision. I mean, it's serious the way it's stated. It can be understood to describe a brand new, fervent decision by a new believer. I mean business. I'm really going to do this. I'm really going to do this. And which we need to be serious whenever we make that decision. But when you know the story behind it, you see a little more of the idea that that it's a decision that has been made before and that has been lived out with staunch conviction. And I'm at the point, you know, here with Jesus, I have decided, I made a decision back there, and I followed him faithfully all through here, and I'm not giving up now. Regardless of what I face, regardless of opposition I face, regardless of temptations I face, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. I'm not turning back at this point. I have decided to follow Jesus. The world is behind me. The cross is before me, giving up myself. Though none go with me, still I will follow. It made me think of the martyr Polycarp. He was one of the last um, church leaders who had studied with and knew any of the twelve disciples that walked with Jesus. He knew. Uh, he was taught by Apostle John. And when he was captured and uh, as a false believer and dragged into the uh, arena to be executed unless he would give up his faith, they were they had taken him from a house and out in the country uh, where he had escaped to. And from there, all the way into, into the city, to the arena, they were trying to persuade him to give up. You're an old man. Give up. Give up. You don't have to go through this. And you've heard it before, what he said. Eighty-six years. Eighty-six years have I served him, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my King and my Savior? He said, Oh, Jesus. And he was burned to death. The critical uh, question, what are we living now? You know, how are we living now? Are we living that commitment that we made? If we haven't made a commitment and God is calling, then we want to listen to that. Like Peter, like Paul, like many of us have. But He is calling us to faithfully follow in the present. It's not just a decision then, but what, what are we doing today? 
Are we doing our part? God is doing His part. Are we doing our part in this process? Among such as are being saved. And as we, uh, as time unfolds, the present, you know, is the future never gets here, but uh, points in the calendar come toward us a lot faster than we used to, I might add. But, uh, you know, time unfolds and comes toward us, and we're always in the present, and then it becomes the past. And so, uh, as time unfolds for a faithful follower of Jesus, it, it adds to a lengthening history of faithfully having followed Christ uh, in the past. And by God, and a present perfect, and by God's kind mercy and good grace, our future is secure. It's wonderful, and it is secure in Christ. May God bless you all right now.